Well, good evening. We are thankful that you are here this evening. If you have your copy of God's Word, you can be turning to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, and I'll meet you there in just a few moments. We're thankful that you're here this evening. This is, of course, the uh, time of the day that we are a little thankful that we lost an hour of sleep last night. That sun is still shining outside and the weather is still nice. Uh, we're thankful that you're here uh, and have had a good day. I hope that you've had a good day of study. Uh, we're thankful to be together. We'll give you the reminder, of course, maybe for the next several services, that fist bumps and elbows and touching feet are still appropriate for everyone. You know, no, no shaking of hands or anything during this time. No matter where you fall on the worry level of the virus and everything, we want to be careful and be safe. Uh, certainly, we got a lot of folks that we don't want to get sick that are important to us, and none of us want to go through the sickness of any kind, whether it's the coronavirus or whether it's even just the flu or strep throat or anything. So we're thankful you're here. If you feel sick, by all means, stay home and take care of yourself, uh, and just be careful as you're traveling out and about. But we're, we're looking forward to staying together for a few moments this evening. We're continuing our study of the book of Luke. I've asked you to turn to Luke chapter 24, but to set the stage for our lesson tonight, as you think back in your lifetime, and of course many of us come through different periods of, of entertainment, of television and things, uh, there are certainly lots of famous duos that we, we recall in our lifetime. Maybe you remember Lucy and Ethel. Maybe that was something you enjoyed watching, that duo that really uh, excited you to see on TV and all the antics and things that they could get caught up in. Maybe we've got, of course, some younger ones in our audience. So the toys take on a little bit more of a meeting with Woody and Buzz and Disney Channel and all the things they do with, with these duos. I was thinking about a whole list, of course. I, I remember the first time I heard Who's On First. I didn't know who Abbott and Costello were, but I love Who's On First. Started trying to memorize parts of it when I was a kid. Comedic, comedic duos like that, Abbott and Costello, uh, Bert and Ernie, of course, I didn't get a picture of them up here, uh, but then of course there's the most famous dynamic duo, right? I mean, if you watch Batman and Robin as well, and so we're, we're famous, or excuse me, we're well known with lots of famous duos, people that we know that just sort of strike a chord with us, we remember uh, watching it, or we remember interacting with that, and how important it was to us. There are lots and lots of famous duos. We could spend the whole 30 minutes or so thinking about people that we know very well. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes they are not so famous duos. That's probably so small you may not even be able to see it there. But that is a list of movie credits. The part of the credits that you wouldn't even be paying attention to anymore if the movie's still on or you're still in the movie theater. But down towards the bottom of that screen, I had to look at my computer screen. I can barely see it standing this close to it up here. But some people who are famous duos might fall even into this part of the movie. You can't even make out their names because it's so small on the television screen or, or even on the movie screen as it's large. But some people fall into this part of the movie sometimes. Their, their names are so tiny that you can't even tell it, and their, their mom is proud of them just like anybody else, but, but they're what we sometimes might refer to as being lost in the credits. And we talked about this a while back. I guess it was maybe towards the beginning of last year, the idea that it's possible for someone to get lost in the credits. And, of course, primarily, as we just had, if you could make it out on the screen there, the idea of movie credits, that the people who are at the top are paid the most, but that keeps scrolling and scrolling, and you know a lot of folks begin to leave the theater or they turn the DVD off at home, and you never pay attention to those people who are towards the bottom. They kind of get lost in the shuffle. I think when we did this last year, I looked up the number of how many people on average are included in the credits, and I didn't do that for tonight, but I mean it was in the hundreds. So it's, it's understandable that people are sometimes forgotten. 
And so we talked about lost in the credits last year. People in the Bible who were not well known. And we gave it the tagline that there are ordinary people who are sometimes made extraordinary or extraordinary by God. We looked at the Old Testament. We did this with Exodus last year as well when we studied Exodus to help our young people with lads to leaders. But, but there were some that we talked about. We talked about the Hebrew midwives. We talked about other folks from the Old Testament and even a couple from the New Testament, I believe. But, but people who you would never think of. I mean, we could spend hours listing names of people in the Bible, and you would never think to mention some of those folks. And so tonight, in connection with our study of the book of Luke, I started thinking, well, this would be a good thing to do again, but who could we pick out? And really, if you take your Bible home or, or are able to flip through it, you look through the book of Luke, there are lots of folks that you may not recognize. And before we get into our lesson, some of them are even here in chapter 24. Go back up to verse number 10 of chapter 24. And after Jesus is risen, this, of course, great and wonderful day that he is risen, the first day of the week, chapter 24 and verse number 1 tells us in verse 10, we see that there are some women involved with the story here. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna. There may be a name that you've never recognized before. Mary, the mother of James. And then, of course, in true loss in the credits fashion, other women with them. Is it five? Is it ten? Is it two? We don't know, but there are other women with them who are involved in this particular part of chapter 24 and relaying this information that he's gone. He is risen. And so when we think about ordinary people made extraordinary by God, we actually find some that we're going to talk about tonight here in chapter 24, but it really begins in verse number 13. And you see that it takes place here. But for our purposes tonight, let's jump ahead because we want to meet this dynamic duo. They're not exactly dynamic for any other reason. But go over to verse number 18 and we meet these two guys who are walking on this road. And their names are, first of all, Cleopas. If you've got your notes in front of you there in your outline, we meet that there was one whose name was Cleopas. And while it's nice to know that, in true, again, lost in the credits fashion, we meet Cleopas and I'm going to call him that other guy. All right, that's all I got. I mean, that's all we know is there are two guys. One of them goes by the name Cleopas and the other one could have been Billy Bob John. I don't know. Take your pick, right? He's the other guy. True, lost in the credits fashion. We have no idea who this guy is other than he's just the other one. Now, it's interesting as you do the study, and we, we talk about scholars a lot, and you read what scholars say. Some, some folks promote the idea that this was actually Luke himself. And I guess that's possible. Uh, there's some people who say, well, it wouldn't be possible based on the things that happened around this time. But it's possible that it was Luke. A lot of folks promote the idea that quite possibly Luke found these two guys and interviewed them. That's why he is able to record this account in such great detail because he went and he found them when he heard these things and he, he just interviewed them just like a journalist would today. And he wrote down what happens on this road to Emmaus. So tonight, for our purposes in the Lost in the Credits series, we're going to study the two guys who are on the road to Emmaus. And what I'd like for us to do is think about the story, several of the things that are included here, four words, and then we'll make some application to ourselves. First of all, tonight, let's consider their commute. 
If you've got your outline, all four of these C words are there, but let's consider their commute. If you've got your Bible and you're in Luke 24, you can stay there. We're going to kind of camp out there tonight and think about what takes place. So it tells us, beginning in verse number 13, that these two men who are traveling, and it's possible they were traveling with a larger group, but were maybe by themselves. Maybe there's 15 or 20 up ahead, and they're kind of lagging behind. But they're traveling, notice, on that same day, The first day of the week, Jesus has risen from the dead. The tomb is empty, and they are traveling on that same day. And we get the distance. We actually get the distance in this story. In verse number 13, your Bible may say seven miles. Some folks think seven. Some folks think eight. Some folks just agree to say seven and a half. My Bible has a notation that it was actually or also considered 60, 60, 60 stadia. Now that gets into our, old, or our older terms, Greek terms, but basically a stadia was also known as a furlong, or modern furlong. If you know anything about a furlong, some folks consider that an eighth of a mile, or about 660 feet. So this is the distance, 60 stadia, 7 miles, that they are walking, of course, right? Most folks travel around by walking, And so when you look at the story there and you go down to verse number 14, you notice that they are talking. They're talking together of all those things which had happened. So when we consider the commute that they are taking, it is a conversational pace. I don't know about you. It doesn't take me too long of walking sometimes before I'm huffing and puffing and out of breath. But they're definitely not sprinting. They're definitely not running. If you're there in chapter 24, notice in verse number 12, backing up, that when they find the tomb empty, Peter arises and runs to the tomb. Now, we know Peter's connection, right, with Christ and how he would have felt about knowing that the tomb was empty. But these men are walking. So we're talking maybe about two hours. Some folks say three hours, somewhere around that time. They're walking and taking their time talking about what all has happened. And so this is the commute that they are on. Now, for the purpose of our lessons tonight, if you're in your Bible, look at chapter, excuse me, verse number 17, and let's read a few verses together. If you don't have your Bible, you can listen as we read out loud, but let's set the stage a little further before we move on. In verse number 17, he, that's Jesus, we'll get there in a minute, Jesus said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he, Jesus, said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Let's talk for just a moment, secondly, about their countenance. If you're filling in your outline, the second word is countenance. Because as we meet these men, it's important to note what they are feeling. It's important to notice their mood, if you will. They are heartbroken. 
When you notice there, Jesus says it in verse number 17 at the end, that they are sad. The only way we can really understand this is to to understand by reading that Jesus is the one who, walking with them, notices their disposition. He says, why are you sad? They are heartbroken. Think about it. What are they doing? They are walking home from a funeral. They're walking home having just attended the funeral of Jesus, essentially. Watching him be crucified, spending a couple of days there conversing maybe with others who are there at this time. But they've not just lost a best friend. We think about losing a loved one, but they have lost their leader. And they just can't seem to shake the thoughts of it. You've been there, right? You've been somewhere. I don't know where it may have been, a vacation, somewhere with your family, some type of event. We think about lads to leaders. We're all getting ready to hopefully head there in a month or so. And on the way home, what do you do? You spend your time talking about what you've just done. Maybe it's vacation, and man, we enjoyed this. Man, this was my favorite part. Like I said, lads to leaders. Well, we like this, or we didn't like that, or we do this different. And you're talking all the way home about what you've just done. That's what they're doing, but they're heartbroken. They've lost their leader. They've lost the one who they thought were going, was going to guide them. And they just can't seem to shake the thoughts. And they're talking together, as verse number 14 said. They had hopes. Verse number 21 tells us that they hoped that this Jesus would redeem Israel. That was their hope. And now their hopes are dashed. All their trust is gone. All their confidence is gone. All of this was in him, and now he has died, and they are heartbroken. And so as Jesus walks up, or appears, and begins walking with them, he notices their countenance, and that they are sad. They're heartbroken over what has taken place, and they just can't seem to quit talking about it, and sharing in the things that they've known. Let's move on. We've already touched on it already. But the third thing we've noticed about this story is the companion, and if you're making notes, you might write in parentheses the new the new companion that comes along. We've already said that he's there, but it is in verse number 15 that it begins, so it was, while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And then verse number 16, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. On this commute, on this walk, walking home, leaving this funeral, Jesus appears But they can't tell it. They don't know who it is for whatever reason. Now, there's some division here whether or not this was miraculous, that God somehow maybe restrained their eyes that they couldn't tell. But really, it doesn't matter. If you're in your Bible, maybe put your finger there and look at Mark chapter 16. Just for reference's sake, Mark chapter 16 and verse number 12. Mark touches on this again in just two verses. The temptation of Jesus this morning, we said Mark touches on in two verses. Well, he does this as well. Mark 16 and verse number 12, it says, After that, he, Jesus, appeared in what? In another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. So he appeared in another form. What does that mean? I don't know. But I'll tell you this, they don't recognize him. Whatever that means, I don't mean to suggest, and I don't want to be irreverent again, but Jesus has on some type of disguise or, or wig or something, and they can't make out who it is. For whatever reason, their eyes are restrained so that they do not know him. In verse number 17, we've already touched on this, but as he begins walking with them, he notices that they are sad, and he wants to know. 
And in verse number 18 that we read just a moment ago, you can picture the words of Cleopas. You can hear it. And if you think about what he's saying, you can feel it. Someone who is disappointed, someone who is discouraged, someone who is heartbroken, and he essentially looks at Jesus and says, what's wrong with you? Are you serious? You don't know what we're talking about? What is this question that you are asking? Everyone knows what happened three days ago. What do you mean you're asking us? He's dejected. He's discouraged. And almost with exasperation, he's probably saying, why are you asking me this? Everybody knows. Who are you to act like you don't know what's going on? But in verse number 19, Jesus pushes further. He says, what things? Now, Curtis Cates, who worked for a long time with the Memphis School of Preaching, used to say it this way. I've heard it uh, recounted several times. But he would say it this way about questions. When deity asks a question, it is never for information purposes. Think about that for just a moment. When deity asks a question, and we're mainly asking about Jesus, and of course we go back to the Old Testament, when God says something, go back to the garden, go back to Cain and Abel, when God asks a question, it's not for information purposes. He knows the answer. So Jesus says, what things? And Cleopas and the other guy pretty much say, what do you mean, what things? Why are we sad? Our hope is gone. They feel hopeless now. This was the one he had come, he was doing all these things, and now he's been crucified. They're heartbroken. Not only that, but think about it this way. They're now confused. Why would they be confused? They wanted a leader, right? We already read verse 21 that they were saying that it was him that would redeem Israel. That's what they were hoping. They wanted a leader. They wanted a Messiah to reign. They wanted the man to come on the white horse and with the flowing gown and to be the one to rule in might and in power. But now there's no body. There's no body of Christ. It's not there anymore. So then they think, well, let the revolution begin. Let's go now. The body is gone, but now they've got no body and now they've got no revolution. They're confused on what's taking place here. And so they're walking home with this confusion in their mind. And so they answer, we already read it through verse number 24, but notice verse 25 and 26. Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, he kind of reproves them, rebukes them just a little bit. O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. And then notice verse 27, maybe the most beautiful picture here in this particular passage. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Think about that sermon. Jesus begins to preach them a sermon and what a sermon that must have been. I like to think I do okay sometimes, but I can't do it as well as Jesus would do it, talking about himself. What does it say that he teaches? He begins at Moses and teaches them all the prophets. By the way, if you've been with us on Wednesday night, that's what we've been talking about. The prophets for them were Genesis to Malachi. We've been working through that on Wednesday night, but that's the sermon. Maybe they didn't know it was Jesus, but Jesus is preaching a sermon about Jesus. He goes all the way through with a single thread tying it all together, preaching these things concerning himself. And he explains it thoroughly. If you, I don't know what version you may have, but in verse number 27, the word I have in the New King James is expounded. 
The Greek word that is used there means to explain thoroughly. There should be no doubt left in their minds of who he is or who Jesus was when he's done. Now, very quickly, before we make application, let's conclude this particular part. So the conclusion of this story, as we see it here, in verse number 28, they arrive at Emmaus, and they're traveling there, and then they arrive. In verse number 29, Jesus is essentially going to keep going. Well, the end of verse number 28, he's going to keep going, except for they restrain him, they beg him, they implore him or constrain him to stay. He does so. And then, in what's really kind of an odd twist to the story, seeing there in verse number 30, Jesus becomes the host. He's, a, he's an attendant there. He, he's not the host. He's been traveling with them. But in verse number 30, he sits at the table. He takes the bread and he does what a host would do. He blesses it and breaks it and gives it to them. And then we notice in verse number 31 that their eyes were opened and they knew him. And then at the end of verse number 31, he vanished from their sight. Why? Well, we don't know for sure. Possibly to leave them to think about all these things that have just taken place. And in fact, we see that in verse number 32. There with this confused look, probably looking at each other and asking, did not our heart burn within us while, we talked, while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? They begin going back to that sermon and replaying it in their mind. Wait a minute. Let's think about this. Maybe he left them to think about what all had happened. Maybe he left them to think about the sermon. But all we know that is in verse number 32, it feels a little weird for them because as they realize who he was, they can't quite explain what all was going on. But yet here they are, and now he's vanished again. So it's an interesting story, one that you might pass over. Not a lot there in some ways, although, like I said, verse 27 is pretty profound when you think about Jesus doing what he did there. But I think there are some lessons that we can learn from this, this dynamic duo, these two fellows here. Let's make a few of those and the lesson will be yours. Number one, there are still many who need to hear. Notice what happened again in verse number 18. They were astonished that Jesus hadn't heard anything. And almost in a condescending tone, they're asking, what in this world have you been living under a rock? Everyone knows what's been taking place in Jerusalem during the last three days. I would submit to you tonight that if we're not careful, <clears throat> if we're not careful, we can treat the world this way sometimes, especially our neighbors in that way. You'd be surprised sometimes at how many people believe in God, know there is a Bible, have heard of Jesus, but have never taken the first step to actually know him. And not only that, but many of these same people are totally ignorant when it comes to simple Bible teachings. And I hope you hear me. I don't mean ignorant in the way of dumb or stupid. They just don't know. They've never been taught. They've never learned. It's so easy today with so much technology around us to think, well, everybody knows and everybody's heard. And yeah, we have the benefit and sometimes the not so benefit of living in the Bible Belt, living in the South. And we think there's a church, a church building on every corner. Everybody knows. You'd be surprised sometimes how many folks and maybe they've just chosen to ignore. They've just chosen to set it aside. But at the same time, there are some folks who still don't know. 
And interestingly enough, what they don't need is for us to be Cleopas and the other guy and pretty much treat them like they're crazy. You know, and I, I get they were heartbroken, they're upset, but they pretty much act like, who are you asking these questions? That's not what the world needs from us. What they need from us is to be Jesus and expound upon the scriptures. To explain to them the ways of the word of God. You don't have to start at the deepest level. You don't have to go to those questions that you don't even understand. But to begin simply to preach the message of Jesus. There are still many people who need to hear. There are many people who may not know. There are many people who say, I believe God is in heaven. I've heard that name Jesus, but they've never considered what he said. I think it's interesting as we consider this story that we think about this fact that maybe there are some people who need us to love them enough to share the saving message of Jesus Christ and not in a condescending way because that's the way we would feel. I mean, really? I mean, you've got a phone, you've got a computer, you've got television, you mean to tell me you've never heard anything? But to treat them with love and kindness and to expound upon the scriptures. Number two, we must set aside what we expect Jesus to be in order to fully understand his will for our lives. That's a, a long sentence there, so you're maybe making notes, but I'll begin to explain. We must set aside what we expect Jesus to be in order to fully understand his will for our lives, in order to fully follow him. Remember verse number 21 again. In verse 21, they say, But we, but we were hoping, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. They were disappointed that Jesus didn't conquer Rome and rule as monarch on earth. They were disappointed that the military might didn't take place, that Rome wasn't destroyed, and he didn't sit upon the throne of this earth. Part of this whole interaction is based upon who or what they were projecting onto Jesus. This is what we thought he should be. Not what he actually is. Not what he actually said. Not what he actually told us to do. They were projecting what, he, what they wanted him to be onto him. The interesting connection, I think, with this story for us is when we project what we want Jesus to be onto him, think about this story, he remains invisible. I don't mean, of course, in the actual in invisibility kind of way. But what happens here, the whole time that they're talking about him redeeming Israel, they can't tell who he is. And it seems to make a little bit of a connection for us when we try to make Jesus be what we think he ought to be or his words say what we think they ought to say, he's going to remain invisible to us. We're not really going to be able to fully follow after him. But when we submit to him, when we submit to his teaching, when we hear the scriptures and begin to put it all together, then we can truly experience him and follow him. We've got to set aside what we think We've got to set aside what we've always heard. We've got to follow after his word, and then we can fully follow him. Because I think that's a little bit maybe of a connection here. It's he's invisible as long as they keep thinking that he's dead, and he's gone, and they're never going to see him again, and he didn't conquer Rome, and what are we going to do? They can't tell who he is. But he's going to appear, and when we set all that aside, and we fully follow him, or fully follow what he's told us to do, then we can fully understand his will for our lives. Number three, our faith must be grounded in the word of God. Notice verse number 32 again. After their eyes are open, after he has vanished, what did they refer back to? The road to Emmaus, the sermon that Jesus preached, and they say, while he opened what? 
the scriptures to us. Just like we talked about this morning. I don't want to rehash the whole point. But the importance of the word of God. In temptation, absolutely. In other parts of our life, absolutely. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is important. It's more important than the fathers. As we talked about. As we've been talking about on Sunday morning in Hebrews, it's more important than the prophets. Or excuse me, they were, of course, speaking the word of God. The fathers are speaking the word of God. He spoke to the fathers. He spoke to the prophets. And he spoke by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 21. Holy men of God who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord has always been important from Genesis on until today. When we think about what Jesus did here, in verse number 27, it said that he began at Moses and all the prophets, and he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke records a similar thought for us. Have you thought about Luke chapter 16? Luke 16, 29, and 31. What was the reason given to the rich man that that Moses could not return, or Father Abraham could not return? Because they have Moses and the prophets. The rich man says, please, Please send Abraham back from the dead. They'll believe. I promise you they'll believe if somebody rises from the dead. No, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Who and what? They have the scriptures. Who or what? We have the scriptures. And we must follow after them and remain grounded in them. And then fourth and finally tonight, good news can't wait. Don't misunderstand there. Good news can't can't wait we didn't finish all the story if you turn there to luke 24 and verse number 33 after they get over the quizzical nature of not understanding uh, what had happened and thinking back to the road to the sermon that jesus priest preached in verse 33 so they rose up when at that very hour and what did they do they returned to jerusalem count them seven more Miles. They've already walked to Emmaus once. It doesn't matter. Seven more miles is nothing when they've got the good news. No car, no ride in the dark at night. Who cares when you've got the good news of Jesus Christ? And that's exactly the way that these men feel. Good news is meant to be shared. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and 16. We talk about the salt. We talk about salt and light. We, we use those phrases a lot. But what does it say? Who lights a lamp and sticks it under a basket? That's not what we do. What do we sing with our children? This little light of mine, hide it under a bushel? That's not the point. That's not what we do. We have to share the good news, and when you hear it, it cannot wait. It cannot wait to to be shared with those who are lost, to those who are in the dark. How far would you go? Would you walk seven miles for someone that you love? Would you go seven miles to share with them the good news? Because I'll tell you this, we can go seven miles in a lot less than two or three hours. And many times we're too afraid, we're too scared, we're too worried to share with someone how much we know. We're too too scared to share the good news. Ordinary people made extraordinary by God. This is truly extraordinary news. They've got it and it can't wait and they're going to tell it. And that's exactly what they do at the end of chapter 24 there. They arrive and they share. And then if you're still there in Luke 24, Jesus appears again. He shows up again as they're there with the uh, disciples, with the 11 who are gathered. And we've mentioned this already, but Luke closes his account. 
He closes his account out with a great part of the gospel plan of salvation. Luke 24, 47, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. Good news can't wait. That's maybe the most important lesson you can learn from these two guys on the road to Emmaus tonight. Good news can't wait. Learn from these two lesser known men. From this maybe not so dynamic duo. We're about to sing the song in just a moment. Lead me to Calvary. Here in chapter 24 and back in chapter 23 of Luke's account of the gospel of Christ. He's killed. He is crucified on the cross. His blood is shed so that you can have the remission of your sins. You can be baptized. And his blood will wash all of that away. You can be added to the church by the Lord and begin living faithfully. Lead me to Calvary, lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget his agony. And that's exactly what we do. We become Christians and then we begin to wander away. We're in need of God's second law of pardon. We need through confession, repentance, and prayer to come back to him. Because we forget. We forget about the things that we've read. We forget that the tomb is, was empty and he is risen. We forget sometimes that, that good news is there and we'll just hold on to it. We'll wait for a better time. We'll save it for another day. May we learn from these two good men tonight the importance of Jesus, the importance of good news, and may we share it with the world. But of course, it begins with us. And if you're here tonight and you need to become a Christian for the first time or come back to him, we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.